This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most powerful women. It's also important to remember that your voice isn't silenced if your party isn't the majority, whether it's on the national level, on the state level. Everybody can continue to fight for their beliefs, whether their leader shares those beliefs or not. We feature women who are breaking barriers and shaping the future of foreign policy, national security, international business and development. I'm Beverly Kirk, the director of the Smart Women Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. Smart Women Smart Power is partnering with Girls Security for Women's History Month to facilitate conversations between young national security scholars and established national security leaders. This conversation features girls' security scholar Megan Burns and Dr. Corey Shockey, Director of Foreign and Defense Policy Studies at the American Enterprise Institute. We discussed nationalism, patriotism, and civil-military relations. Corey and Megan, thank you so much for being here on the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. It is such a great joy. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Well, this topic that you have picked to talk about, Megan, is particularly relevant given the events at the Capitol on January 6th. Was this why you chose this topic or is this an issue you've been studying? It was actually pure coincidence. While the Capitol events shortly shook the nation, they provided a very necessary context to the base of this podcast today. I've been studying the issue for quite some time, both through girl security and on my own. The concept of patriotism is something that's motivated me for years, and the misconceptions and generalizations behind the word patriotism are what inspired me to want to pursue further study. And what made you want to talk to Corey about it? So I had written an essay on patriotism through my internship at Girl Security, and upon the publishing of that essay, the founder and CEO of Girl Security, Lauren Buita, suggested that I reach out to Corey to engage in this discourse with me so that we can share our ideas with a broader audience. Well, this is your opportunity to do just that. And I'm thrilled that Smart Women is pairing up with Girl Security to allow next-gen scholars to talk with established scholars on the topics of most interest to them. So, Megan, please talk to Corey and ask her anything you'd like to know. Great. Thank you so much. So my first question is pretty general. Can you give the audience some insight into your background, what sparked your patriotism and your passion for defense and civil relations? Yeah, you know, I studied Latin American economic development in college and looking at American foreign and defense policy choices in the Western Hemisphere isn't something that made me feel incredibly proud or excited about the choices that my country was making. But my family was actually living in West Berlin when I graduated from college. My dad was a Pan Am pilot and was flying out of Berlin. And I went there. It sounds so crazy, but it really had a significant impact on my thinking. I happened to be in Berlin visiting my parents on the day, I think it's July 24th, which we call Allied Forces Day because it was the day that there was an uprising in East Berlin in 1954 or 5, and Soviet troops put it down forcefully. And so the countries allied with West Germany who had troops stationed in Berlin would every year have a military parade to show the difference between Soviet oppression of its allies and 
the mutual support that allied countries in the West have for each other. That is, we don't repress our own or each other's populations. We are free societies. And as I was watching that parade, I bet there were 40,000 Germans who lived in West Berlin, which was the most liberal part of Germany, because you couldn't be conscripted into the army if you were living in Berlin. And watching those people's genuine reverence for Britain, France, and the United States' willingness to fight on behalf of Germany's freedom really struck such a powerful chord in me because it really reminded me how rare it is for countries to care about things happening beyond their borders in ways that they're really willing to plant their sword and do something about. And that is characteristic of the free world order that the United States and its friends created after World War II, which is both an enormous achievement and something that I hadn't reflected enough on as a young woman because I took a lot for granted, right? I took all of our domestic freedoms for granted because I had never known anything else or thought particularly profoundly about it. Wow, that's really interesting. The historical context behind that. Is really important, I think, and that ties us into our next question. There's a difference in patriotism and nationalism, and in World War II, it's very clear. So how would you describe the difference between patriotism and nationalism in our current nation? It's such a great question, Megan. And after I answer, I want to turn it back on you, because you've actually been studying this, as, as you said, thinking carefully about it. So I'd be interested in whether your answer differs from mine. I think it's actually a very hard question to answer because patriotism is a love of your country. Nationalism, I think of as love of your country when it becomes dangerous, either when it becomes aggressive internationally or when it becomes exclusionary domestically or internationally, right? If it narrows down to race or particular characteristics that you're excluding others from. My favorite thing about our beautiful United States is that it's a compact, right? That we're the people who hold these truths to be self-evident, that all people are created equal and they're endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. And anyone can opt into that belief and become an American. And that's the core of my patriotism. I love that idea so much. And when I think about the events of January 6th, the people, the insurrectionists who attacked our capital wanted a much narrower definition of who counted as Americans and that the people who they believed were real Americans didn't have to be bound by the rules. And being bound by the rules is a big part of what being an American is because we're an idea. We're not a race of people. We're not a religion of people. We're not a people who have a common history even because we're such an immigrant country. So rules matter and inclusiveness matters in patriotism for me. But I would love to hear your answer, Megan. How do you think about the distinction between patriotism and nationalism? 
Yes, I definitely agree with what you said. I do believe that patriotism is an immense pride in one's country. And this might be a stretch, but I do believe a strong patriot will do anything for their country. Soldiers, for example, they'll, you know, they'll fight and die for their country. And nationalism, I feel, as you said, it's a bit more extreme. In my view, nationalism is the idea that your country is superior than any other country. It's not just you have this sense of pride. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice distinction. Yeah. Somebody who's more nationalistic just feels that they're dominant or their country is dominant to any other country. And how do you square that with this notion of American exceptionalism? Because I don't think of myself as a nationalist, but I do think America is different than most other countries and better than most other countries, not because we have things right, but because we're always struggling to get things right, to live up to our creed of respect for human dignity and creation of opportunity and equal justice before the law. This is why it's such a slippery concept for me, because nationalism is patriotism when it starts to scare me. <laughs> and I, American exceptionalism can be interpreted, I think, as nationalism. And I guess my experience of studying American foreign policy in Latin America when I was young made me think that very often our behavior in, you know, gunboat diplomacy in Latin America in the 19th and early 20th century was more nationalistic than patriotic. So I think even we struggle with living up to being patriotic, but not nationalistic. Absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of relates to another question that I had for you. There's a lot in this country. There's a big misassociation between nationalism and patriotism. I feel that not too many people are able to flesh out the difference. And they believe that if you are proud of your country, that means that, you know, you support everything that's going on. And right. you are nationalistic. You believe that your country is superior However, that's not necessarily what patriotism means. And I believe that this misconception throws off one's view of a patriot who is willing to do anything for their country, but still feels that there can be improvement in their nation. Okay, I love the way you have described that, Megan. Thank you. And it reminds me of one of my favorite American patriots, a German-American named Karl Schurz. He was a major general in the Union Army during the Civil War, a close friend of President Lincoln's, and somebody who raised an enormous number of recruits to commit to the Union Army. And General Schertz was once challenged about his patriotism because he proudly said he was a German-American. He didn't just say he was an American. And Despite the fact that he had fought in the Union Army during the Civil War, he still had his patriotism challenged because of his ethnic heritage and because of the way he embraced his ethnicity and his heritage as a part of his American experience. And General Schertz's answer when he was challenged, the challenger said, you're not a patriot unless you believe my country right or wrong. 
And General Schertz's response was to say, I do believe that. My country, right or wrong, when right, to be kept right, and when wrong, to be put right. That's really good. That's a good quote. So how do you think that we should make it commonly known that patriots aren't nationalists and that patriots are something that we need in our country in order to work to fix our flaws? I think one way to do it is to take it out of the military context because America's replete with heroes who wear nurses scrubs and doctors white lab coats and school teachers, you know, art aprons and everything else. And I think sometimes we over-militarize the notion of patriotism. I, for example, think of Colin Kaepernick as a great patriot for being willing to pay an enormous professional price to draw attention to an enormous failure of our country. And so I don't think anyone would think of Colin Kaepernick as a nationalist, right? Because he's a great social critic of the United States, but he's a great patriot because he wants us to be better than we are, and he believes that we can be better than we are. And he's willing to sacrifice, just as soldiers make sacrifices, by risking their lives in order to help us be a better country, to be truer to what our founding creed describes of us. Yes, absolutely. How, in your opinion, does the disdain of patriotism harm the country? And is it necessary? And why is it necessary, if so, um, to restore this pride? These are really interesting, big blue sky questions. So brava, because they're, they're hard to answer because they're so foundational. I do think that a lack of patriotism unravels the social and political bonds that hold our country together. And so I do think it's essential for us to have a common sense of what it means to be an American. What are the commonalities we want from each other and commit to for ourselves? And one of the great things about the United States is that that's always up for grabs. We're always redefining what that means. And I think it's true that every country is always redefining what that means. You know, 20 years ago, it was difficult to emigrate to Germany and become a German. But if you were living in Ukraine and had German ancestors, you counted as German. Right. And, and they realized that that kind of bloodline citizenship wasn't who they wanted to be as a country. It didn't reflect their values anymore. It's what political scientists call constructivism, which is that there's no historical determinism to who a country is. It's who we choose to be. The political choices that we make about who we want to be as a society and as a culture are what define us. And one of my favorite descriptions of it, of the United States, comes from the former American poet laureate, Robert Pinsky, 
who said, American culture, as I have experienced it, is so brilliantly and sometimes brutally in motion that standard models for it fail to apply. And what I think he's trying to tell us with that is that one of the ways in which the United States is unique among states is the degree to which we are always engaged in redefinition, that we are much more prone than other societies to argue about who we are and why we are. And I think that's a fundamentally healthy thing. I think the Black Lives Matter protests of last summer were that brilliant American culture in motion that Pinsky was talking about because it caused, I think, a lot of people, certainly me, to pause and reflect on things I had taken for granted in my experience that are actually privileged that a number of our fellow Americans don't have. And we need to fix that. And we all need to commit ourselves to fixing that and think about ways big and small, and that that is a fundamentally patriotic undertaking. Yes, absolutely. I think it's also important to remember that your voice isn't silenced if your party isn't the majority, whether it's on the national level and state level or local level. It's important to remember that everybody can continue to fight for their beliefs, whether their leader shares those beliefs or not. So I'm laughing to myself, Megan, because I'm one of the Republicans who rebelled against Donald Trump's nomination to be the Republican candidate for president in 2016. I signed all the Never Trump letters, and I'm serenely unrepentant of those views. I think he was a danger to the country and a danger to an international order that's been incredibly prosperous and safe for the United States. And so I could not agree with you more as a rebellious Republican that we not only, you know, need to struggle to change the nation, we need to struggle to change the smaller parts of the nation, like political parties and communities and book clubs that we're all involved in, because that's the dynamism of American society. There are so many ways and so many levels at which we can participate for good and for evil, even. That's a great point. Yeah. And I wrote about this in my article. We can use our sense of patriotism and pride in the nation to bind our nation together rather than something that should be condemned or disdained upon. Because when you look at it in the long run, we're all fighting for the same thing, which is a strong and resilient nation that we're proud to live in. And that's a common thread that we need to utilize in order to mend this divide between parties. That is such a beautiful sentiment, Megan. Thank you for teaching me that. You know, one of the things I notice, I travel a lot in my work. People who are not Americans always have enormous complaints about American foreign policy. We're doing too much. We're doing too little. We don't understand them. You know, the common complaints and frequent complaints. But one of the things that people around the world do is they separate American policy from America, and they are overwhelmingly pro-America, even if they don't like American foreign policy as it affects them. And I feel like 
we ought to be able to do that ourselves as Americans too, to be proud of being American and to commit to make, if we're not happy with whatever's going on in the country, to be part of the solution of correcting it, of improving it, of creating a more perfect union. Absolutely. Yes, that's a great point. So to finish this out, I have one last question. Pretty general. How are you feeling about the state of the nation? Are you encouraged or discouraged by the way we're heading in terms of a patriotic standpoint? I am very encouraged, actually. Even though I was scared and sad by the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, and I'm scared and sad at how many elected Republicans are unwilling to do what I believe is their constitutional duty and convict the president in the impeachment trial. And I'm scared and sad at the number of my fellow Republicans who continue to support the president even after the damage he's done to the country. But I'm incredibly heartened for two, I think, important reasons. The first is that the four years of President Trump's administration were an enormous test of the strength of democratic institutions and democratic rules in the United States. And those structures and those rules passed the test. You know, President Trump tried very hard to corrode the rule of law, the strictures of democratic governance, and Democrats and Republicans alike, secretaries of state in the 50 states of the union, judges, Republican and Democrat, all upheld the law and upheld the norms of democracy in America. And that makes me incredibly grateful that the founding fathers, uh, because they were very pessimistic about human nature, built very strong institutions, and we as a body politic developed very strong norms. The other reason I'm optimistic is because voters turned out in record numbers, protesters turned on both sides turned out in incredible numbers, partly motivated by last summer's Black Lives Matter protest, partly motivated by the election itself. And I think democracy in America can survive anything except apathy. And so I'm not afraid of Americans having strong and conflicting political views because I think our structures and our society have the capacity to handle that. What I don't think we have the capacity to handle is apathy by Americans about our political system and about the policies that anybody is elected is bringing to bear. And I think we've seen an enormous amount of engagement and that too makes me really hopeful for the future. Great. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for all your insights. It's been a pleasure having this discussion with you. Thank you for giving me such a sparkly view into the next generation. You will be a better version of me. And that delights me. That too will be good for the country.
Well, Megan and Corey, before you go, I actually want to hop in and ask a question and follow up on something the two of you talked about. You mentioned that it's essential to have a common sense of what it means to be an American. And I would argue that we don't have that right now. And I'm curious what you think has to happen to restore that and repair that common sense of what it means to be an American. So I will shield Megan by firing first. And Beverly, I often wonder whether we project back into the past a unity that didn't exist, because I'm not sure my grandparents would have had a definition of America that your grandparents would have agreed with. And I think two generations before that, perhaps even less so. And so I think the struggle and tumult are a huge part of what it means to be an American, that the definitions in flux isn't something that scares me. Because when I look back across American history, whenever we have this struggle about what it means to be an American, the result has been a wider, more inclusive, and more encompassing definition. And I think that's what we're on the road to right now. But Megan, improve on my answer, please. I think looking at this from a more modern standpoint, a common thread to me is the idea that we all can and will fight to preserve our democracy, which is something that we have that privilege of as Americans ever since, you know, our founding fathers. And it's nice to see people using their rights to protest, the right to free speech, everything. And like I said, that's something that we have, especially as Americans and people using their voice to explain what they want and what they feel they need is exactly what's going to help preserve our democracy and keep our American values that we've had for centuries. Megan and Corey, thank you so much for an absolutely fascinating and wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners here at Smart Women, Smart Power appreciate it as well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Subscribe to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to good content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Smart Women, and I'm at Beverly Kirk. Thanks for listening. See you next time.